Hello, and welcome to BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and Marion, Massachusetts, hosted by Ed Shanafee, USPTA professional and international businessman. This is the podcast that researches and looks at the club management and facility side of our business. Hello, and welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Shanafee. I'm your host. And I've returned back to my home courts and my home club here at Wacabuck Country Club up in the top part of Westchester County, New York State, up near the Putnam County line, tucked in between Ridgefield, Connecticut, and Katona, New York, South Salem. Wonderful part of the world, and I was lucky enough to grow up here. And today I've come back to the club to interview one of the best players at the club. Back in uh, the day when I was a junior looking up to some of the best players, Judy Idelot and her husband Gordon were the pair to beat. Gordon on the men's side in both singles and doubles, and Judy always on the women's side. And I'm lucky enough to have Judy here today with me, and we're going to talk about some of the the historic tennis that was here in Westchester County, not only at Wacabuck, but across the state border in New Canaan. But before I do that, I'd like to remind our listeners that uh, a lot of material is there at beyondthebaselines.com for your consulting needs, uh, helping you to run your club, manage your tennis and fitness programming. It's all there at beyondthebaselines.com. And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us at any time, either by email at beyondthebaselines at gmail or by phone at 508-538-1288. But without any further ado, I'm really happy to have here Judy Idolot. Here's Judy. Shanifee, I'm your host, BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, and today we're here at Wacaba Country Club with an old friend of mine. I grew up playing against both her and her husband, Judy Idlot, who uh, wrote a wonderful book called The Sport of a Lifetime, Enduring Personal Stories from Tennis. Judy, how are you today? Great to have you here. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here, and fortunately, we're all fine and getting through this terrible pandemic. I'm glad you're healthy and your family's healthy, yep. too. Yep. We're here at Wacaba Country Club, which is... Uh, where I grew up playing tennis and where your children grew up playing tennis. We're here in, in the clubhouse and being here, I just it brings back memories, but I wanted to ask you, what, what are your fondest memories of Wacabuck and, and Westchester County tennis up here in, the, in this neck of the woods? It can't be better. Um, Wacabuck, my husband's, I'm not the member, but my husband is, and he's been a member for 40 years. Joined in 1980, and now he's so excited because uh, he is a senior, he has senior status. <laughs> no, senior turned, membership status. Right, he's turned 80 and he's been here for 40 years, so now he gets uh, some uh, perks. But yeah, the women's tennis in Westchester is excellent. And they have different leagues, the MITL, uh, Metropolitan Interclub uh, Tennis, and that's been going on for years and it's excellent competition. Uh, the the tennis at Wacabuck has been wonderful as well, and our current uh, leader, head head pro, is uh, Harry Gilbert, and he has been here for over 20 years, and he has built such a good uh, program for the kids, especially this year. It was amazing. These kids really learn how to play tennis, and we've also had excellent players who've gone on, played in college from Wacabuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just a warm place, so well run. During the COVID crisis, it has been a haven 
for tennis players, golfers, bridge players, canasta players, whatever. Oh, well, it's great to hear. I, uh, I, I, first of all, it is so well run. I mean, Harry yeah. Gilbert's one of the best in the business, and you're, we're lucky to have him. And uh, John Asuma as well as a wonderful mm-hmm. club manager. Mm-hmm. Going down the going down the hallway here, I was looking at some of the names of the past champions. Y- your name's up there a lot. Uh, <laughs> G- <laughs> Gordon's name's up there a lot. More. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I remember losing to him a couple times on the doubles court in the finals. Uh, he and Pete Ewers uh, beat me and Charlie Johnstone. Um, but uh, the, the doubles pairings last a long time in clubs like this. And you're right. You look down the club championships, and there's Greg Tebby, who went to Harvard, and Nick Crystal, who yeah. uh, I forget where Nick went, but he was one of the best players out of here. I think. USC. USC, sorry. Yeah. That's right. So right. there's some great players coming through the ranks. Uh, and some other players up there, your daughter being one, Deb Gorman. I see D Gorman up there a ton. Uh-huh. And uh, so I was going to ask you about being in Westchester County, and your book is, there's a few things in your book about West, a lot about Westchester and New York, but bringing in family and talking about your family here at Wacobuck. Um, the Sawmill Gang, the boys from Sawmill, <laughs> that chapter. Um, there's a gentleman in that group called Dick Parsons, who mm-hmm. who I knew growing up here as the head coach for John Jay High School, and me as a precocious seventh grader tried to join the team. And uh, I remember going to Coach Parsons' office, and he said, "Ed, I don't think I can get a seventh grader on the team." He tried. He went to New York State. It's a non-combative sport, no contact. Um, he tried. Uh, he lost the case. Now, in Florida now, they have seventh graders on the high school teams. No kidding. Right? But the funniest thing was he said, Ed, I can't get you on the team, but Deb, Deb Idolot, <laughs> she's on the team as a junior. And I was like, I don't believe it. I can't play, but she was on the boys' team. Yeah, so explain how that worked and why she did that, because that's a great story. Well, she was really better than the Wit girls at John Jay at the time. And she was also a field hockey player. She was a a field hockey player, and that was played in the fall. And the boys' tennis was played in the spring. So she couldn't play both field hockey and tennis, uh, girls' tennis. So she asked to be on the boys' tennis team. And they said, okay. She she was the only girl that I know of who's ever been on the boys' tennis team. Uh, I I was annoyed (laughs) that she could be on the team, and I couldn't be. But I was a little younger and a little more. She played. She played doubles with um, a fella who lives in uh, Massachusetts now. Good player. They had a good record. Yeah, she was. I remember she was a good player. I mean, uh-huh. well, I I've played her many times here, but she was a good player in high school. And um, Dick Parsons was very lucky to have her, as was John Jay. So, do you remember the member guests here? Do you remember how we used to have those? weekend-long tournaments, and you used to play. I, I was trying to remember who you used to bring into play. I thought maybe it was the Vestiges or... Well, I think it was probably Tom Porter. I don't remember that name, but I do remember Carl Tucker. Did you ever play with Carl Tucker? Sure. And Carl Tucker was a he was a, a, a role model for me because he owned the patent trader. He's a newspaper right. guy, and I've always right. been a newspaper guy. Kind of, I love writing right. and journalism and all that. And I remember you and Carl Tucker playing a few times. Um, but those were huge events back in the yeah. day. They were like a, a weekend long. And now, this in this era, we don't seem to get those kinds of tournaments. Is that, no. Th- we don't have right. those tournaments here anymore either? Well, they have them, but they're just uh, not played the way they used to be played. You have um, maybe a round robin or something. You don't have you know actual matches. Right. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I played with Carl and Gordon played with Diane Tucker. That's right. Who, I mean, she she's a good player. Really good. Yep. And 
And let me ask you, why don't you think we have tournaments like that anymore? Because it's the same across the board in the industry. Most most of the tournaments are very, you know, they're just a morning. Now, golf still has the three-day men's member guest, still has a whole day for late. I mean, golf does take longer, but why don't we have tennis tournaments like that anymore? Why aren't they the event of the summer? That's a good question. I really hadn't thought about that. I guess maybe people are just so busy with other things, and they don't want to uh, spend the whole weekend playing tennis. I don't. I mean, I'd love to, but... <laughs> well, I think that's, you know, it's a survey question uh, at a lot of clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, would you give up a whole day for a tournament? And there are people like you that say, you bet. Yeah. And then there's a, a, a maybe a majority that say, no, I need to go out and do something with my family at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. But I miss those events. They yeah. were they were great fun for me as a, as a spectator. I couldn't play them as a junior, but I'd watch you and Gordon and... You know, Charlie and all the all the members have a great time, and, and it would bring in memberships. You know, it would bring in sure. new members because you'd spend a whole weekend here yeah. with a guest. Yeah. We were talking earlier um, about your book. As I read through it, I realized, and probably I didn't realize how lucky I was to grow up in northern Westchester with so much tennis. And as a kid, you don't realize how good the tennis was. And we just talked about the kids who played here and went on to college and have come back from college and won championships here. But it's really, tennis is a sport of a lifetime and that's what your book is all about. And it stays with you. And as a kid here, and your kids too, uh, I think your daughter, Amy, is still coaching tennis. And um, tell me about that and how you found your kids to grow through the tennis that was here in Westchester County. Well, uh, Amy lives in Fort Collins, Colorado. She's a teacher, teaches Spanish there. And she was asked a couple of years ago to become the boys' tennis coach uh, at the high school. And so she's been doing it and loving it. Deb um, has not really done any coaching, but she still plays a lot of tennis and is good. You know, she's, uh, I would say she's a 4-5, not a 5-0, but she's a good... She's a good 4-5. She's a good 4-5. And Amy is the same, and their families play. I have five grandchildren, and Amy's two daughters are wonderful players. Uh, They played in high school. They haven't been playing in college, but... They, uh, they're good, and uh, Deb's kids are all tennis players. It's a family event for us. We've always played tennis as a family. Mm-hmm. And do you know Dingles? Yep, That's yeah, where you play the... Harry, Harry Gilbert's big game. Big game, where you play, <laughs> you play two balls lot. at the same time, and That's then one right. goes out, and That's right. you play the doubles. Right, right. Yeah, for the listeners, Dingles is a very popular uh, game where you don't have to serve, so it's constant right. play, and it's a, it's a great fitness drill. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's really good. But I remember you all coming as family, you know, uh, even after, uh, well, as a kid, you know, uh, Amy was, I think, a year older than I was. Deb's probably three or four years older than I am. But th- you guys would always come as a family, and you played tournaments as a family. You played the parent-child. You played the mother-daughter. You played the father-father-daughter. Yeah. Now, did, did, didn't didn't Gordon go and play the father-daughter national somewhere? Yeah, right. Equitable had um, a father-daughter tournament. Mm-hmm. And the finals were at um, the U.S. Open. Um, really? Yeah, Flushing Meadows. And they had won all the preliminary rounds. Mm-hmm. And so they were in the, they got to the semis. 
of the fi of the uh, tournament, the final tournament, and it was so exciting. Gordon's parents came and watched. They were the ones that started the tennis fever in the Idolot family. <laughs> about Westchester County and tennis and I was going to talk to you about you know, <laughs> New Canaan is part of that yes and yes. the New Canaan Field Club oh and, yes and and there's across the state a lot of competition but one of your chapters in your book deals with Harlan Stone uh-huh. and I I you know again I wasn't realizing how special the tennis was here yeah and Harlan was very involved and as a young precocious 24 year old he, right. he asked New Canaan Field Club to start a senior tournament and it was called the Merrill Lynch as you talk about in your book and it brought back memories his his wife used to be behind the front desk at New Canaan Racquet Club and I was a ball boy for that tournament and I ball boyed for Stan Smith and Bob Lutz which is you know an honor but it was Harlan Stone at the age of 24 who started that and and he he's carried on and you describe his career in the book tell me what what you got out of Harlan because he was a kid just a little older than I was at the time well Harlan Stone is a character uh, he's very bright very um successful in business, all related to tennis. So much fun. He's got the best sense of humor. Um, And he started this uh, Merrill Lynch senior tennis, and it's not just senior tennis, it's top Mm -hmm. senior tennis. He had Laver and Rosewall and all the top players. Yeah. Uh, And they had this, the house was always filled with uh, the spectators. And then he uh, replicated that also at the Sawmill Club in Mount Kisco. Very successful. And he's 24 years old. It was unbelievable. Right. It Uh, was a great event. Yeah. Uh, And it was funny when he he went to uh, UVA. He was number one at UVA. And then he was getting a job, and he went to uh, Cullman, who was the... uh, source behind the women's new league and uh, he thought he was going to be talking about you know his career and what he wanted to do and Coleman opened a a drawer and pulled out a tennis rack and he says you know I have a terrible backhand okay what can how can I get that better so they just talked tennis and the job that Coleman gave him was um, working at the International Hall of Fame in uh, Newport Rhode Island he, he was good on fundraising, etc., and so that's what he did. He's just so engaging, and his uh, own companies have done very well, and he was also very instrumental in the U.S. Open and the success of the U.S. Open in Flushing Meadows and how um, they got sponsors and made it the wonderful tournament it is. Yeah, he worked on the uh, finding sponsors for that yeah. for that tournament. That was yeah. his specialty, mm-hmm. and, and 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 that leads right into my next questions. Was was one of your uh, political uh, <laughs> interviews was with David Dinkins, the former member, uh-huh. former mayor of uh, New York City, and it was Dinkins who was instrumental in oh, keeping the U.S. Open there. You bet. And and to this day, I believe that the air traffic controllers still have to move jets around the U.S. Open. Absolutely. And they've never had to pay. Um, it, it was an interesting time. Uh, Dinkins won 
the Merrill position. And at that same time, the USTA was thinking of changing location because where they were at Forest Hills was not adequate and they wanted to go someplace else. Dinkins knew that it was such a money maker for the city of New York that it had to stay in New York. And there was a lot of opposition. So where it is now in Flushing, in Queens, uh, Carol Schulman was the president of that borough. Mm -hmm. She was a huge help in convincing the the Queens residents that this was going to be a plus for them. But then uh, as they got further along in the negotiations, the flight pattern of all of the planes was a problem. And USTA wanted something in writing that they would make sure that that two-week period when the U.S. Open was going on, that no planes would go over. And the FAA said, no, we're not going to do that. So uh, Dinkins negotiated with both sides and got them to agree that New York City would pay $325,000 for any infraction of that agreement. And to this day, it has never, yes, it's still there. And today, it makes a billion dollars for New York City because it's not just the tournament, but it's all the people who come from all over the world. It's the only tournament we have something like that. And so restaurants and hotels and cab drivers, everybody uh, is involved. It is. The U.S. Open is is an event. You know, um, it reminded me uh, when I went down with my daughter to the the USTA Tennis Center, which is now in Orlando. Uh And you're on the flight path. And I remember before the flights were changed, how bad it, and how loud it was. Oh. And, you know, you're at the USDA National Center, and, well, you're training for the U.S. Open. Well, no, it's quiet at the U.S. Open now, but it is an amazing story in how David Dinkins kept the U.S. Open yep. in New York. And um, um, Von Lindell was uh, one of the head guys at the uh, ATP, and he absolutely said, if we have those planes flying overs, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so... Your tennis is fantastic. Great player. Uh, always not happen. as great as it used to be. <laughs> always, I'm, I, I, I think you're being very modest. You, you, I think have also realized that tennis can be a social networking tool. You ran for Congress. You, you're in a, you're a very well established attorney. How has tennis changed your life in terms of the business side of things? Can you, oh. Has it opened up doors? Oh, tennis has just been such a wonderful part of our lives, Mike. Gordon and, and I, we belong to the International Club. Um, there are 44 international clubs around the world, and purpose of these clubs is to improve relationships among players from different countries. Now, that's pretty easy to do. And we have traveled all over the world because of the IC. You arrange uh, these matches in England. We were there for Wimbledon and played. We, uh, uh, France, Belgium, Netherlands, 
Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Russia. We spent uh, two weeks in Russia playing with Russian tennis players. It was such an eye-opener. The, the players were older, because this is mm -hmm. senior tennis, um, but when they were tops in Russia, they didn't get any of the money. It went to the Federation. Right. And so now they are on pensions and they lived poorly and they were very um, angry. It was sad. And then we would um, have people come to the U.S. We had an Indian team come several years ago and uh, we put them up in our houses. Mm -hmm. And we had two couples. One couple was from Delhi and the other couple was from... Um, very progressive city down south. Bombay? No, but anyway, um, they were so different. And they didn't even, uh, their common language was mm -hmm. English because there's so many dialects. Different dialects, that's right. And the uh, people from Delhi were very proper. And the husband had been in the military and they had a ton of money. The other couple, the wife was a radiologist and the husband worked for IBM, very progressive. It was interesting to see the difference between these two Indian couples and how they really changed during the time that they were with us. And the woman from Delhi, who had 12 servants and didn't have to do anything, said, you know, this is wonderful. You don't have any servants. I said, no, we don't have any servants. <laughs> And the first day they were there, uh, I had put out stuff for them for breakfast because I had to go off to work. The couple from Delhi came into the kitchen. I don't think they'd ever been in a kitchen before. <laughs> and they didn't know how to boil water. So <laughs> it, was, it was quite an experience. But all How of was this, their tennis? Um, the U.S. won. I'll just say. <laughs> <laughs> Those are great memories, right? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean, where tennis takes you is... Is, is amazing. I find it too. I mean, I've played at Wimbledon because I went over and yep. played grad school tennis over there. Yep. It's just, it's a lot of fun. You, do you remember um, Moss Kimball? You're, you're, sure. Yeah, now Moss, uh, again, looking at his chapter in your book, where uh -huh. he, where tennis has taken him is incredible. Yeah. yeah. And I met Moss, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I've turned to flip the next page and there's Moss Kimball. Well, Moss was, uh, he was like the, 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 the head pro at the farm neck up in the vineyard where I was for many years. And uh, got to play a couple <coughs> exhibitions against him. What a great player. But the stories that you got Moss to talk about uh, in your book are amazing. And it's stories like that that continue on. How did you meet Moss? We met Moss through the Atlantic Coast Cup, which is Gordon is uh, the captain of, well, when he was in the 55s, his captain of the 55s, then the 65s, and then the 75s. But there are four divisions along the East Coast from Maine down to Virginia. And the four divisions would play every year uh, and they would rotate the venues and it's all good tennis. And Moss was on the um, New England team. We got to know him through that. And then he also became a member of the IC. And so we got to know his wife and uh, we played a tournament in the Bahamas that he ran for the IC. Really, really good, good tennis. Um, so that's how we got to know him. And then now he's in charge. He runs the uh, 
husband-wife tournament in Mission Hills. Okay. National husband and yeah. wife, and we saw him in March. Um, Gordon and I used to play in that tournament. They have three categories. The team, you have to be a husband and wife. Right. And there are some people who got married so that they could play <laughs> in the tournament. And Trophy had, hunters. <laughs> that's right. You, you had three categories. A hundred. They had to equal 100 years. The 120s and the 140s. And we started out in the 120s. And we did very well. We got as high as number five in the country. And then uh, we were in the 140s also. Um, but we haven't played in that for quite a while. But it's a great tournament. A lot of fun. It goes oh, on great. for a whole week out at Mission Hills in California. Beautiful grass courts. Unbelievable. Gorgeous. And, you know, there's a lot of socializing, too. That's a that's such a good part of tennis. Uh, the Atlantic Coast Cup that I told you about, there's always socializing. Right. And you're fierce competitors when that's going on. But then for the evening, you're drinking, you're having dinner together. and that's, uh, We miss that in the age of COVID. It's just oh, tennis. Oh, yes, and absolutely. Then we can't socialize yeah, you're after. absolutely. So yeah. we've, been, we've been put on hold for the yeah. social. And it, It'll it, come back. It, it will come back. It will. Westchester to know all these people and um, who was you mentioned to me that probably one of your favorite people to talk about was was Fred Kovaleski. Oh, and yeah. uh, if people don't know Fred, Fred's a great tennis player, but he was also a spy. Yes, and um, and basically the United States saw his talent in tennis and used that talent to cover up what he actually was doing. Yeah, am I? Yeah, it it was his stories were so fascinating and. Uh, he really got into his job as a spy. He was very important. Uh, he spoke Polish and Russian, so his Russian fluency was a huge assist for him. And he was first stationed uh, in the Sudan, and then he was in Cairo. And in Cairo, they had a big tennis tournament, which he was in, and this was before he became a spy. And the, it was a very wonderful club in Cairo, and the uh, ambassador, the U.S. ambassador, and his assistant were always invited to be members, and so they came to the finals, and Kovaleski was playing in the finals one year, and after it was over, the deputy came up to Fred and said, you know, that was a great game. I would, I would love to see you playing more tennis, but, you know, you're not making any money in tennis. Don't you think you're going to get tired of this? He says, no, I'm loving it. I'm going all over the world. I'm playing these tournaments. So he said, can't remember his name that right now, but he, the, the deputy said, well, listen, if you change your mind, let me know, because I think I could get you a job in the State Department. So he uh, goes off. The U.S. said if he spends any more time in Europe, where he'd been spending a lot of time, he would lose his amateur status and would have to go pro. And he did not want to go pro because they didn't make any money. So after a couple of months, he called the deputy and said, you know what? Um, yeah, 
I might be interested. So the deputy sent him copies of letters he sent to all, many state departments around the world. And then all of a sudden, he was seeing Mr. Jones in Park and Mr. Smith in a coffee shop and Mr. Miller someplace else. And it was he didn't know what was going on. And then one said, you know, uh, we'd like you to meet this person in Bethesda, Maryland. So they take him to Bethesda, and he was, he didn't know what their real names were. And this gentleman said, we'd like you to join the CIA. Well, Fred didn't know anything about the CIA. It had actually just been organized. It came out of World War II, and so it was started in 1949, and this was in 1951. So uh, Fred listens to what, what it's all about, and he said, yeah, I think I'd like to do that. <laughs> so um, he loved adventure. I know I asked him, I said, well, what were you getting into? And he said, listen, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm fit, and this was an adventure for me. And it was an adventure. His stories are unbelievable. Uh, incredible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, twice he, I did a little research on twice he tried to get out of the CIA. They wouldn't really let him, you know, and when he got married. Yep. Oh, 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 they, they threw him out when he got oh, married. Oh, they did throw him out. Yes, okay. yes, because Manya, beautiful Manya, was Russian. And he couldn't be married to a Russian. <laughs> Fred got back into, into the, the CIA. CIA. He went back in. Yes, he did. <clears throat> well, when he's in Khartoum, he knew the station chief through the training that he had before he became a full-fledged CIA rep. The uh, station chief heard that Fred was in Sudan. He calls him up and he says, listen, we've got thousands of conversations of the Soviets, and I need you to do the interpreting. And he said, well, you know, I'm... I could, but I know somebody who could do it better, my wife. <laughs> and so his wife became a CIA spy. And when in the beginning, when she started working for them, the apartment they had was, you know, sanitized. There were bars put on all the windows. They had all kinds of 24-hour protection. So uh, that's how he then got, got back, back in into the it. CIA again. It's funny because if you look at Fred Kovaleski's um, history, he, he played Wimbledon. He lost in the fourth round at Wimbledon. I mean, he's a fantastic yeah. player. Yeah. And he lost to a guy named Frank Sedgman. In the 50s, Frank was a great player. And there's a book by uh, Gordon Forbes, Forbes that I love called A Handful of Summers. Uh -huh. And it talks about how the, the pros back then would just try to get housing. They were just trying to make a buck. They, they'd figure out how to get to Wimbledon. They'd figure out how to get to America and play the U.S. Open. They'd figure... And, and Fred Kowalski was one of those, and he used this to actually have a, a, a front for being a spy. Right. Um, but we're kind of in that scenario now with COVID. It's, it, it's really changed the tour and how the players oh, yeah. are dealing with it. I mean, Serena didn't go to the French Open because right. she couldn't get the, the housing that she wanted. I think right. that's probably why, but... Back, what goes around comes around is, I guess, what is yeah, happening with yeah. the pro tour right now. You know, Fred Kovaleski gives so much credit to his coach, um, Gene Hoxie, when he lived in Hamtramck, Michigan, which is where he grew up. Uh, Mrs. Hoxie, he always calls her Mrs. Hoxie, uh, was the elementary school gym teacher. And they, the big sport in his elementary school was handball. 
And when Fred was in third grade, he won the uh, tournament. And so Mrs. Hoxie said, well, how about tennis? Do you know anything about tennis? And no, I don't, uh, he'd never heard of it. She said, go home, ask your father to get you a tennis racket. It'll only cost $10. So he does, he goes home and his father said, what? Ten dollars? Play baseball. <laughs> so Mrs. Hoxie took care of everything. She got him a racket. She got him started in tennis. He did so well. And then when he had uh, success as a 17-year-old against very well-known players, she wanted him to play in Europe. And she paid for everything. So she, she was his sponsor. He said, she, he said, I never would have had the life that I have if not for Mrs. Fox. From a small town in Michigan. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Where tennis can take you. Where yeah. it opens doors. Yeah, absolutely. You know, going back and, and, and going back a little bit to Westchester County and how tennis has opened up our, our doors for us, John Bria, I used to play with uh-huh. a lot here, and uh-huh. he's from Pound Ridge, and uh-huh. uh, great player, tough serve. Uh, but one of your chapters I really enjoyed reading was about George and Letty, yeah, Letty. And, and and I didn't know about that whole family, uh-huh. and how, again, they were forced to relocate due to war and, 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 and World War II. And, um, so tell us about you know the, the Brias. But they were born in 1916, both of them. For the first six years of his life, he was in Florence, Italy. And Letty was in Istanbul, which was then Constantinople. And her mother was Armenian, and Constantinople was then run by the Ottomans. They massacred the Armenians. It was very difficult for them to be there. So they had to flee to Cairo. And Fred was in Florence when the fascists were gaining control of Italy and it was terrible. His father was a pharmacist and dad said, we got to get out of here. So when Fred was, um, when George was six years old, uh, they moved to the U.S. and, you know, there were were tough stories when they were still in Italy and then same thing for Letty. Mm -hmm. They had a terrible existence, but Letty and her mother came to the U.S., and then their lives changed. Um, Well, we're just talking about how people moved to avoid conflict. They immigrated here. That's right. They they were very good friends. Uh, Letty went to Smith, and her roommate was Mary. And George went to Amherst, and George and Mary became a couple and married. Yep. And then... Letty married a psychologist, and years later, Mary dies, yep. and Letty's husband dies, and and they had been friends all this time. Yeah. And so in 2000, they are in their early 80s, 83, 84, and they get married. And the, the wedding was written up in the New York Times style section, and they loved it. Oh. So... Um, George was able to, well, he was a correspondent uh, for the AP and was in uh, Italy and Germany during World War II, and his stories about what was going on there are fascinating. Then in, he retired when he was 65 and took up tennis again, and he got Letty when, she, when they got married into tennis. She had played as a young girl, but never seriously. Well, 
they would go to Chestnut Ridge, which is a local indoor place in Mount Kisco, and uh, at 6.30 in the morning, and they work out, and their tennis got much better, especially Letty's. So uh, George says, um, you're good enough to play in a tournament. So at 85, she plays in a tournament in Albany, and she wins it. <laughs> and the next year, George signed her up for this, and she won it again. So then they go out to La Jolla, California, and they are in the 85s, and they both do pretty well. And there was a legend in women's tennis, Dodo Cheney, who won over 300 gold balls. A gold ball is the, ball is the trophy you get for being a, the winner. Yeah. Dodo Cheney's usual partner couldn't play in this big international tournament in Philadelphia after this event in La Jolla. And so she asked Letty to be her partner. Letty was terrified. And George said, you know, you can do it. You can do it. You know, you've got a good drop shot and your forehand's good. So they agree. They meet Dodo Cheney. They practice a little before the tournament starts. And of course, Dodo was very serious about her game. And she wanted to make sure that Letty was going to be up to snuff. <laughs> and they practiced. And after their practice ended and Dodo left, she said, work on your serve. <laughs> <laughs> so George, and then, of course, Letty got uh, nervous. nervous. And, and George calmed her down. He was her coach the whole right. way through. So they end up uh, in the finals of this international tournament. They lose the first set. And uh, Letty's really, really nervous. And George is there, you know, come on, you can do it. And more drop shots, more drop shots. <laughs> so they ended up winning yep. the tournament. And then she got to play in the singles against Dodo in, in the, the finals. Yeah. Yep. And she didn't do badly. She, got, it, she lost, but it was 6 4, 6 1. To someone who was. She was delighted. And she won her first gold, first and only gold ball at the age of 87. Do you have a, a, a chapter uh, with Katrina Adams? Katrina, I, I met, she asked me to teach a society that's close to her down in Palm Beach as a volunteer pro so I had the chance to meet her She's a wonderful woman yeah but she talks a lot about the the famous nine women that started oh, yeah. the Virginia Slims yeah and as a as a wonderful athlete yourself and a tennis player especially what were your thoughts is that in those times as that happened for the you know as the Billie Jean Kings pushed for equality and pushed for equal money purses. Well, I knew one of the nine, the original nine very well, Nancy Ritchie. Um, we spent a couple of summers together when her father was a tennis pro in a local club and didn't have facilities for a family. So I lived on a farm and there was a cottage and they lived in this cottage. And so Nancy and I were inseparable. We're, this, we're one year apart almost to the day. And through the years, we've, we've still stayed, stayed close. It was a brave move 
And I had mentioned Mr. Coleman before. Right. And Julie Heldman was the person behind organizing women tennis players. And um, the USTA and the ITF, which run the, the, the tennis in the yep. world, were very upset and thought it was just a huge mistake. So for $1, <clears throat> each one signed a contract for the WTA, the Women's Tennis Association, which was started back then. And it was a struggle in the beginning. But, wow, what a difference. It, it was a struggle, but yeah. it, it, if you look back, and, and it's appropriate now to think about it, and Katrina Adams's chapter talks a lot about that, but, you know, uh, Djokovic is talking about doing the same thing right now uh, on the he men's is, side. He is, right. I don't know if it's all chit-chat or if it's just... Uh, That's uh, a very controversial. Very controversial, and yeah. it's the same, you know, the same thing that happened back then. Um, yeah, Djokovic wants to have uh, a union for the younger players, which are sort of ignored by the well, the, the players, the organizations, and, yeah. and and the and the fans too. You know, the fans don't know all the no. younger players either. So I don't know whether he's really serious about this or what. You know, who used to be a pro here, George Sis. Do you remember him? I don't remember George, but maybe that was before me. No, no. no uh, he was here only once or twice. He was one of uh, Harry's first assistants. assistants. Okay, and he had a big job with the ATP France. They were headquartered in Monte Carlo. Yeah, the ATP is. Right. That's right. And it was very difficult the last couple of years when there was this, they wanted to get rid of the president of the ATP who was doing a terrific job. And Djokovic was one of the... Naysayers. Yeah. And uh, so he lost that job, the president. They put in somebody else and George left the ATP. He's no longer with them. So anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. To summarize, and, and I, it, it's been great having you here, Judy. Walk oh, of a girl, stomping fun. ground. Yeah. Um, there's several themes in your book, and, and, and I recommend it. It's a fantastic read, and it's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sport of a Lifetime, Judy Idolot. You know, it goes through, I mean, there are themes like um, from Wacabuck and Sawmill and Westchester County through to Northwestern Tennis, where I didn't know Chris Drake played and Katrina played there. Yeah. But I think the theme of this book is so appropriate now. The biggest theme I find is that so many of your interviewees... Heroes. Heroes. Let's go, okay, heroes. Have been affected either by conflict of war or have served in our armed forces or served our country. And I think, as I was saying to myself as I read this, my kids and Deb's kids, your your grandkids, they're not... They're, they've never seen that. Mm-hmm. And in this year of political... Uh, candidates and in tennis your your heroes have used tennis to push through a civility there's a civility to tennis and a civility to what all of them have done in their service to our country and to themselves and their families and i think that's the theme in your book that is so missed in this era of covid and yeah. our political yeah. extremities right now you know david dinkins wanted to be a marine so badly and it was tough for him to become a Marine because he was black mm-hmm. and they had quotas. Gardner Malloy is another great tennis player that is in the book. And on December 8th, 1941, he enlisted in the Navy. And they then put him through the 90-day wonder tour so mm-hmm. that he could become um, an officer. And his experience in the war was just 
just really brutal. And um, Tony Franco, who was another one, he joined the, the Navy as soon as he could. You know, these, these kids were 17. They wanted to work for their country and for freedom. It's just very um, stimulating and uh, wonderful that their character shows. And, you know, Kovaleski also. He, he was a freshman in college and the war started and he wasn't old enough to join for another six months, but he got in and he was a paratrooper in the Philippines, jumping down on the Japanese. Uh, amazing stuff. Right. Um, so Tom Brook, Brunkow, Brokow. Tom Brokow, wrote, yeah. The, wrote about the yep, greatest, generation. greatest generation. And really, they, they haven't been duplicated since. We need more uh, respect for our country and for its freedoms and its democracy. And hopefully, hopefully we'll get it. Well, hopefully tennis <laughs> will uh, provide some of that civility yeah. ending towards a democracy. Uh, comes close to home, too, because you told me earlier that you couldn't believe that Gordon Idolot was a beer-drinking senior at Dartmouth <laughs> one day, and then the next day he was in the Marines. He was in, in the, the Navy. Navy. He, was, he, was on the Navy. A, he was on a destroyer. So and uh, he served too. It, it, oh yeah, yeah, and it was so good for him. Um, you grow up quickly. And you take on a lot of responsibilities when you join the service. Well, Judy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This is fun. It's been a great honor to have you back here at Wakabuk and to talk about the old times. And great to see you. Great to see you, and best to your family. Thanks. Years too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm your host, Ed Shanafee, and it's a pleasure bringing you, every week, news and views and great guests from our tennis and fitness industry. You can always reach me at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com or by phone at the office on 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website, beyondthebaselines.com, and on our site, there's a link to our Patreon page, which has even more information for you and your club and your facility in our wonderful industry. Thanks for listening. See you again soon.